0: This is Reverend John Ferrett, and I wanted to welcome you to a very special set of podcasts that are called the Fall Feasts of Adonai. And the first feast that we're going to be dealing with is Rosh Hashanah. And in this first part on Rosh Hashanah, I entitle it Yom Teruah the Day of the Blast. And what we want to do in these podcasts is we want to talk about the fall feasts of the Lord and to see their connection to the Messiah, their connection to Yeshua, our Jesus. Remember, in John 5, 39, Jesus says that all scripture testifies of me. He says that in the temple courts, back in 24 to 30 AD when he was in a very intense discussion with the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests and the only Bible they had at that time was the Hebrew Scriptures that we call the Old Testament and the main five books of the Bible at that time was the Torah and the fall feasts of the Lord are in the Torah the Leviticus, one of the primary chapters is Leviticus 23 so again How is Jesus connected to the fall feasts of the Lord? How is he connected to Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Sukkot? Now, you understand that one of the major goals of the podcast that Light of Menorah presents on the Torah, the Gospel According to Moses, Genesis, or the other series, The Gospel According to Moses, Exodus, one of the major goals is where is Jesus in the Torah? How does the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, testify of Jesus? Well, it's the same thing. Where is Jesus in the feast? But on top of that, another goal that we had in those series on the Torah, in Genesis and also in Exodus, was how did those first believers see Yeshua in the feast, especially after he ascended to the Father, and they were probably in their second or third year or fourth year after Jesus ascended to the Father. So we're going to go to the day of the shofar blast, Rosh Hashanah. And what we want to do is we want to begin our study with Rosh Hashanah, and one of the things that we find that before 70 AD before the temple was destroyed a second time it seemed as if Rosh Hashanah seemed to be related to begin, to the beginning of the, uh, the the beginning of the new civil year Jewish bible historians ask why and one of the things that we find is that semitic people ancient semitic people looked upon the fall as the time of the new year because it was basically the end of the agricultural season. It was the beginning of the rainy season in Israel. So it's the beginning of a new year. This is when they were going to plant the new grain that they would harvest during the spring feasts of Adonai. Now in Judges 2, starting in verse 10. It is a very sad verse because it's the third generation of all the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And it says that all Israel turned away from God. All Israel began to serve and bow down to the Baals. In other words, the gods of Canaan. And the Canaanite people, they had... The beginning of their new year as this around the seventh month, so it's likely. And this is from Jewish scholars that those Jews, especially many of them who turned away from God in Judges chapter two verse ten, which which implies that most of Israel for perhaps nine hundred years was not following the Torah. And it could very well be, be that they integrated pagan rituals into early Judaism. It's like Christmas. Christmas, December 25th, was a pagan Roman holiday. But it became Christianized. And Jewish scholars will teach us it could very well have happened in Judaism as well. They took those ra- ritual, pagan ritual concepts and they actually made them holy in Judaism. It's a possibility. I recommend Heim Schaus and his book, The Jewish Festivals, an amazing Jewish scholar and Bible historian, and also the Encyclopedia Judaica. These are Jewish sources, and these are just two of many. Chaim Schaus has a complete bibliography and Encyclopedia Judaica as, as well. It's a beginning study of studying the Jewish feast from Jewish scholars. Now when we take a look at any typical calendar, Rosh Hashanah happens in the fall. And if you take a look at calendars that will have the biblical lunar calendar superimposed on the regular solar calendar, You may find that uh, Rosh Hashanah is going to be, it depends upon the year, maybe uh, as early as late August, or maybe as late as late September. And you'll see Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And remember, Rosh Hashanah always begins the night before, on Erev Rosh Hashanah, the evening of Rosh Hashanah. So it begins at sundown, goes overnight through the next day and ends at sundown the next day. Now you'll also see on many calendars that there's a second day for Rosh Hashanah. Now that's unbiblical. That was added by the rabbis for a variety of reasons. Uh, We are going to focus in on the biblical Rosh Hashanah. We are not going to uh, study the rabbinic Rosh Hashanah. I have a very difficult time with the rabbinic view in Judaism that they can add things to God's Word and change God's Word change the laws and in rabbinic Judaism Rosh Hashanah day two is just as valid as Rosh Hashanah day one but God said it is the first of Tishri, the seventh month on the lunar calendar, the time of the new moon, the new moon of the seventh month, and the seventh month is Tishri. So if the new moon happens on Rosh Hashanah then 14 days later will be the full moon which is going to be the Feast of Sukkot. And we will deal more with this as we continue on with the fall feasts Now, one of the main chapters in the Torah where you can find all of the feasts of the Lord is Leviticus 23. And if you go to Leviticus 23 and you're reading in verses 1 through 2, you read that it says, My appointed times. Where in the Bible does it say these are the Jewish feasts? Nowhere. That comes from the church. The church changed the wording that these are the Jewish feasts. No, they're not. God said they're mine. Another thing that I find is a mistake that's made not only in the church, but it's also in Messianic congregations and also in Judaism as well, that there's only seven feasts. No, there's eight. Because in Leviticus 23, God actually says, here's my appointed times. And the first one is Sabbath, or in Hebrew, Shabbat. And by the way, they're not feasts the hebrew word there for feast is moed and if you have a number of feasts they're called moedim they're appointed times it's like a date it's like when i go and have coffee with a good friend of mine will say let's meet at this coffee shop let's meet next monday and i'll see you at 9 a.m so in other words we have a specific date we have a specific place and a specific time that is an appointed time and these are very specific appointed times of the Lord Leviticus 23 3 you'll read about the Sabbath Leviticus 23 5 you'll read about Passover or Pesach Leviticus 23 6-8 you'll read about the Moedah of Unleavened Bread Chag Hamotzi the holiday of the Unleavened Bread Leviticus 23, 9 through 15, you'll read about first fruits, Hag Bikarim, which is a very interesting hidden moed, hidden appointed time of the Lord, right in the midst of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. A countdown starts on the Feast of Bikarim and it takes us to Pentecost, Leviticus 23, 15 through 22, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. Leviticus 23, 23 to 24, It's the Day of the Blast, Yom Teruah. Just wanted to let you know that Rosh Hashanah is not not biblical. It's not in the Bible. The actual name of this appointed time, this date, that God wants with his his people is the Day of Teruah, the Day of the Blast. Leviticus 23, 26 through 32. It's the Day of Atonements, Yom Kippurim. It's not Yom Kippur. It's Yom Kippurim. It's the Day of the Atonements, That's the exact Hebrew. And then Leviticus 23, 33 through 44, we come to the Moed of Tabernacles. The Moed of the Feast of Sukkot, the the Moed of Sukkot, of Booths. In Joel 2, verse 1, we read, Blow the shofar in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. So when we take a look at Leviticus 23, verses 23 to 25, from the New American Standard, we read, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by the blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. This is an appointed time to remember the blast because all it really says it's a reminder of the blast, a reminder of the day of the blast. It does not say anything about the shofar or trumpets whatsoever. Now, the Hebrew word teruah, which is a noun, comes from called ruha, and ruha means to split the ears with a sound. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know this a sound that splits the ears, it's loud, it's intense, an alarm, a loud noise, an amazing sound of the shofar. Who were the first people to hear the words in Leviticus 23, 23 to 25? The Hebrews coming out of Egypt, especially the second generation. This was written to them. And if it's written to them, how did they look at this? They heard a shofar blast. It's very specific. You can look this up in Exodus chapter 19. And on Sinai, there were thunderings and smoke and lightning and a loud shofar blast. Your Bible might say trumpet, but the actual Hebrew is shofar. So that's interesting. It's easy to see how the shofar connects to this Moab. Those Hebrews coming out of Egypt, especially the second generation, they remember the shofar that sounded on Mount Sinai. And so we can say, God is trying to remind them of something in the seventh month. Could he be reminding them of the great shofar, the great blast that happened on Mount Sinai, reminding them of the amazing, covenant that they entered into together god with his people israel and all israel with adonai now the phrase rosh hashanah does appear in the bible once rosh hashanah in hebrew means the head of the year and you will find that in ezekiel 40 verse 1 It talks about the beginning of the year in the Hebrew, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. That makes a lot of sense. And you have people who say, see, Rosh Hashanah, there it is. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Ezekiel. However, once again, you need to study the Bible in context. Because as you start reading in Ezekiel 40 and go from 40 through Ezekiel 45... It's all talk about measuring the temple and Jerusalem and all sorts of stuff. When you come down in Ezekiel 45, and it talks about the first month of the year, during that first month of the year, you celebrate Passover on the 14th day. Well, wait a minute. Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year. What's the first month of the year? Nisan. That's when Passover is. So this verifies that the Bible is saying that God's new year, is the first is the first and the first month of the year is the month when passover is celebrated god even says that in exodus chapter 12. so the first month is nisan not tishri which is the seventh month of the year but just to let you know rosh hashanah that phrase which just means head of the year it's got nothing to do with the rabbinic feast called rosh hashanah just means the beginning of the year Now, there's a couple of other places in the Bible where we get get this connection of uh, the shout, the blast, uh, and the shofar. We go to uh, Psalm 81, verses 1 through 3, and we read Sing for joy to God our strength, shout joyfully to the God of Jacob, raise a song, strike the timbrel, the sweet sound, the sweet sounding lira with the harp, blow the trumpet, shofar. At the new moon. And today, Rosh Hashanah, or Yam Turua, as it's called in the Bible, is the first day of the seventh month, which is the new the full the new moon. So indeed, here in Psalm 81, do we read that in the culture, we definitely see that it's the new moon, and you blow the shofar on the new moon. We go to Psalm 47, 1 through 5. Oh clap your hands all people shout to God with the voice of joy for the Lord most High is to be feared a great king over all the earth he subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet he chooses our inheritance for us the glory of Jacob whom he loves Selah God has ascended with a shout in Hebrew Teruah the Lord with the sound of a trumpet doesn't say trumpet it says Shofar God has ascended with the Teruah Shofar and so we can see other aspects of how the shofar becomes connected with the verses in Leviticus 23. Now one of the things that's always an interesting question is we take the, and look at the Bible in its historical context. How was this feast, Yom Teruah, how was it done prior to 586 B.C.? How was it done prior to To that day when Solomon's temple was destroyed. How was it done prior to the exile in Babylon? There's not a lot of evidence, and it's not clear how it was done at that time. There's a guess among Jewish historians and Jewish scholars, and they say probably, you know, it's the seventh month, it's a new moon celebration, as we saw in Psalm 81. And among the ancient Semitic cultures, the number seven was mystical and sacred. Not just in the Bible, not just among Israel, even among the Canaanites. So, just like the pagans, the Hebrews likely considered the seventh day or the seventh year or the seventh month as special. And indeed, this makes sense. It's the first teruah, the first blast of the shofar and here, god in the seventh month could he be reminding them reminding them and said listen the pagan cultures around you are celebrating their new year this is not the new year this is not the beginning of the year this is not the first month of the year the first month of the year i established and god says it in his own word in exodus 12 the month of nisan and again in the March-April time frame. The month of Passover. That was the day of the first Teruah. The major blast of the Shofar. When they entered into covenant. And the Jewish people. They say this was the day Israel became the bride of Adonai. And Adonai became our husband. This is all over the Old Testament. What a day to remember. As they come into the end of the agricultural year going into the new year, they are a new bride, they are a new nation, a new nation of priests. What a celebration! In part two, we're going to go more into Yom Teruah. We'll take a look at when did it become Rosh Hashanah under Rabbinic Midrash. And we're also going to take a look at Tzel Mashiach, the shadow of Messiah. How is Jesus a shadow over the Mes- o- over Rosh Hashanah? How do we see Jesus in this Moed, this time? And one of the things that we ask ourselves is, If this is God's moed, his appointed time for his people, why can't Christians on the night of Rosh Hashanah have a Christian application of this moed? They belong to God. Do you understand that the church does not do any of God's moedim, any of his appointed times, except Pentecost. And indeed, Pentecost has become... I mean, I've been at churches where it was the the Sunday of Pentecost and it wasn't even mentioned. But when we go back and we put these feasts back into their ancient cultural context and into their historical context we begin to see that this begins to make sense. We should have a praise and worship service. And so we're going to see more of that as we take a look at how Messiah is a shadow over the feast of Yom Teruah that you know as the Rosh Hashanah. So Shalom and I'll see you in part two.